0: Hey, Helicopter Podcast listeners, this is John Gray from the Hanger Z Podcast. I want to let you all know Vertical Fowler's Spring 2024 issue is now available. In our Spring 2024 issue, we head over to Leon County for a look at how law enforcement agencies in Northern Florida are combining forces to enhance crime fighting. We also visit Metro Aviation in Shreveport, Louisiana to learn about the work behind installing a Metro interior in an Airbus helicopter. We connect with the experts in the search and rescue sector for an update on the latest trends, training, and tools using helicopter rescue missions. And finally, we catch up with the Los Angeles Police Department's aviation unit for a look at its training programs. All this, plus highlights of some new products and services that made their debuts at Heli-Expo 2024. To check out the latest issue of Vertical Valor, go to verticalvalor.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to find magazines. Enjoy.
1: What is up and welcome to the Helicopter Podcast. I'm your guy, Halsey Scheider. Hope you're doing well. Big shout out to Vertical Helicast for making the podcast possible. Love doing it. Love connecting with new people. I've said it before that I love talking with friends on the podcast that I've known for a long time, but I also like making new friends. And that's an example of today of Mr. Nick. Okay, say it. I'm going to mess it up. Paladini? Did I say it? You got it right. Palladini. Oh, you my got perfect! God. I was like, I was like practicing it before, and right when I'm like, okay, it's Nick, and I'm like, oh crap, I'm going to Palladini. We were doing our, <clears throat> our introduction to Vertical Helicast, the platform that we're on, and it was myself, uh, John Gray from uh, Hangar Z, and Jason Quinn from The Real Rescue. And I hadn't really had a chance to connect with those guys a ton yet. And John, who's kind of, the head honcho for the vertical Heli pa-
0: Ugh, vertical mm-hmm.
1: helicast program, uh introduced me on the podcast as Halsey Schneider. Um uh, and it's very common because they're literally my ancestors screwed up. They should have just thrown an N in there. It would have saved me so much uh so much time of explanation. But there's no N, so it's just Scheiter. So I'm super I'm always. I want to make sure that I say people's names right because my name Halsey always gets screwed up. Hazley. Shider yeah. turns into Schneider. I get Hazley Shitter a lot, uh, so that's <laughs> that's always fun. Well, but uh, Mr. Nick, and I totally to the get show. that
0: because my name's usually messed up as well. So you know, I'm right there with you. you know, when that, when yeah, when the when pa- the Ardini. yeah, it's hard. When the ancestors came across through Ellis Island, they changed the spelling, and nobody's been able to pronounce it right since then.
1: Exactly, yeah, same, same situation uh, with my with my ancestry as well. I don't actually know a ton. I, I know that uh, on my dad's side, of course, where the last name comes from, they, they came over from Poland, and that's always like a shock or a surprise to people because I think Scheider sounds more German. but uh, I, I think through the grapevine, I've been told that um, the name was changed, you know, or spelled differently. Uh, I've heard different renditions. Maybe it was like Saida, uh, something like that. But anyway, I don't know. I I should look into it. I think Ancestry is cool. We have so many cool things that you can do now too to kind of figure it out. I just haven't done it. Have you done one of those oh, things?
0: No, no. I leave that to my sister. She's all into it. She just fills me in when she finds out something new.
1: <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. I uh, I have a cousin kind of like that. And so the little like history that I do know of my family is that my mom's side is Connors, so that's fairly easy Irish. So Polish, Irish, grew up in uh, the Pacific Northwest with you, actually. It sounds like you and I are practically neighbors. So you grew up uh, in McMinnville?
0: I did grow up in McMinnville. It was so way back when, I was actually born in Vancouver, but you know, I moved to McMinnville when I was like a year old, so I don't really remember okay. much Vancouver.
1: Yeah, man, the, the coup doesn't count then. For our listeners yeah, who may so. not be familiar with McMinnville, it's kind of cool. I would say it's like a little bit of an aviation. Uh, well, I would say back in the day when you and I grew up, it was like an aviation farming town, it and was. now it's like a aviation bougie wine country town. Um, evergreen uh, Aviation was out there forever. Dell Smith is, I think, the guy that started that. That and that is
0: definitely his name.
1: That's his name. Yeah, I uh, I got married at the Dell Smith Chapel. Um, at the Evergreen Space Museum. Long story short, I got married twice, but Mm one just to the same woman, so that's good. That's Um,
0: good,
1: yeah. We had had a COVID wedding with just a couple people here at Mount Bachelor in Central Oregon, and I I was fine with that. I did not need to get married again uh, and plan another wedding, Uh, but my wife thought differently. Happy wife, happy life, and sure enough, we ended up uh, doing a redo with all of our friends and family at the Evergreen Space Museum, and uh, we did it in the little chapel there. And I don't know if Dell is actually buried there, but there seems to be like a gravestone uh, with his name on it. I don't know if that's an actual gravestone or if it's a plaque. But uh, if if you've never been to the av- av- ugh, Evergreen Aviation um, Space Museum, it's super cool, home of the Spruce Goose.
0: It is. You know, the first uh, actual, I guess you'd say cockpit of an aircraft I ever sat in was the Spruce Goose. My sister used to uh, work for Evergreen. And I got like that behind the scenes tour. And they're like, here, plop down in the pilot's seat. And it was like the coolest thing That's ever. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, the Spruce Goose is something, man. It's a, and I love how the museum does it. It's a big glass panel in the front. And so when you're driving by on, what is that, Highway 20? What is that? Yeah, so I think 22? it's Highway 20
0: out to like Lincoln City
1: yeah it's like you uh you drive by this massive hangar complex and uh through the glass you can kind of see it almost looks like a shark you know peering through the mm-hmm. water this big silhouette of an airplane and then of course they have a a water park there in which they have one of the old evergreen uh seven forty sevens on top and they have water slides coming out, and that seven forty seven actually landed at the McMinnville airport uh to to find its final resting place atop that water park, so it's pretty cool. Uh, Jerry Trimble Helicopters, of course, is out of uh out of McMinnville. Jerry's God, he's been in the industry forever. I think he was testing the R twenty two with Frank, you know, back in the day. He's like an OG uh helicopter guru. And then of course. Yeah, Jerry Trimble,
0: I don't think he would remember me at all. I've got out and visited a few times. Back when he used to do the uh the full down auto rotation contest, I'd go out there the, and yeah. in the summers in a tent. I never I never was part of it. I just was watching.
1: I don't want to throw a shade at Jerry because I think he's a great guy. I always question the fold-down auto-rotation competition, though. I I had a time. I was doing a 141 stage check at Hillsborough back in the day for a, for mm-hmm. a CFI. A guy named Cern Sauer. And, um, good dude, German guy, good pilot. I think he's a DPE now, flies utility. We stay in touch uh, to this day, but... He was, a, he, him and I were both CFI instructors. So we were teaching pull downs. Most of the time, I would do the 141 stage check or um, checkout. You know, the guys and gals would, that would be like the fun part of their checkout. Like, hey, let's go do some yeah. fold downs together, you know? And, but with CERN, him and I were doing them every day. And what happens when you get two dudes in a cockpit that do fold downs every day with like a perfect 10 knot wind right down Bravo uh, pattern? Well, you're going to see who can do the best pull downs, and you're going to do a lot of them. And I ended I mean, up—I would do the same. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm—I don't think I think it's a great idea, great experience. Yeah. And we were, dude, Nick. When I tell you, like, we were butter. <laughs> it was seriously like <laughs> they were like some of the best full downs of my life, and Cern was killing it. And we weren't outwardly like competing, but we were competing. And of yeah. course, I I kissed the stinger on one of them, um, which. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Stinger's part of the landing gear. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's there for it's a reason. For. And yeah. it was like just the smallest little nick, but I did get, uh, I got a little bit, what's the word, uh, in trouble for, for that. But, you know, <laughs> this idea of a full down auto rotation competition always kind of was like, eh, I don't know if that's a good idea, but he did it for years.
0: It was always fun to attend. And back when I used to go, I was, I think I was going when I was a commercial student and then a CFI student at Hillsborough. And so it was always fun. I'd go see some of my instructors competing in it because a few people would always make their way down. And yeah, uh, you no, it, was, cool. it was good times. It would be fun.
1: I, I think it would be fun for sure. So you're a Hillsborough guy. Ironically enough, um, we're, the podcast is now, uh, one of our proud sponsors is Hillsborough uh, Aero Academy. So, were, were you an Aero Academy guy, or were you a Hillsboro Aviation guy?
0: So, I was a Hillsborough – I started as an aviation guy, and it went to Aero Academy while I was there.
1: Okay, yeah, because I was straight just H A I, not this H A A. I was all Hillsboro Aviation Inc. And uh, so, uh, I remember I was in Texas. Actually, kind of you know that whole, whole sale happened, but. Uh, you know, I keep in touch with, uh, with the folks there. Jared friend is now, I think head of the helicopter operations spoke to their, uh, chief instructor the other day. Uh, he reached out through Instagram, super nice guy. sounds like they're doing good things. Uh, and cool enough. Uh, they're sponsoring the podcast now, uh, which I think is yeah. fun. I think it's, uh, I had a great training experience at, at Hillsboro and you know, like every big school. You know, there's always not gonna be perfect things about it, but I think the one of the things that I take away is that uh, great availability, at least for me on the helicopter side, I had good instruction, consistent instruction. And tell me that the West practice
0: area is not the best place.
1: Oh, well, it's you, like Were one you of the at Troutdale? Were so you Trout or or at Troutdale?
0: So I started at Hillsborough. I did my okay. C F I and double I in Troutdale. So uh, I spent a lot of time in the West Practice area. So you you
1: you're familiar with the turning tree. You're familiar oh, I'm with. I'm very
0: familiar with the turning tree. Oh, did not play I hadn't the turning... turning tree in forever? That was a, that was a, <laughs> the... some fun memories right there.
1: Did you ever play in the turning tree classic, the golf tournament?
0: Uh, I did not. Oh man, you but missed out. But that sounds pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, we had a good time. I remember a funny story. Was Dave Valente doing check rides when you were when you were there?
0: Uh, he was not.
1: So, Dave, he owns him. a company. Yeah, he owns a company up in in Washington. Forgive me, Dave, if you're a mm-hmm. listener. How are you? I don't know if you listen. You probably don't, but uh, if you do, <laughs> hi. Um, he's up in Washington. He's an Italian guy, DPE, super knowledgeable, great pilot, fairly thick Italian accent. And he was telling us a story one time. He's like, uh, I was doing uh, this is horrible Italian accent, by the way. I was doing this uh, check ride, and the I sound French, and the girl is like." Uh, not, she was lost going to her cross-country point, and I said, what is your point? And she said, it's the turning tree, and I look up, and I'm like, I don't know the turning tree, but that tree right there looks like a tree that you turn around, and it was exactly, <laughs> it was exactly the turning tree.
0: That's awesome. Which I was yeah, when, I, when I uh, left Hillsborough and went and started teaching on the East Coast, back where I am now in New York, uh, we have a town out here with a bunch of, where they do a bunch of horse races and racetracks, and we didn't have a turning tree out here but i tried to keep let's say the tradition alive and so i used to make people turn around these horse racing tracks all the time and just you know had fond memories of the turning tree every time i was doing it oh i think i just the turning tree
1: off. oh yeah no i that was me i i'm a heavy breather and so when when you're talking i mute myself and i've never not unmuted myself and i just did that for the first time I, I have fond memories of, uh West practice and, and training out there and yeah, man, off airports. I mean, I think the coolest part of flying helicopters is off airports. And so to be able to have, oh, I
0: absolutely agree
1: to, to be able to have off airport opportunities that we had uh, in the West practice area. Well, Excuse me. And
0: I, I mean, and I feel cool. like you feel the same way, obviously, but I felt like my training at Hillsborough was top notch and amazing. I still keep in touch with, uh, my uh, person who primarily taught me for most of my time, Life Roost Guard. out flying Life Roost Guard. He's out uh, flying 92s in the North Sea.
1: Oh, wow. That's cool.
0: Where's he from? Uh, he's from Norway. So he did all of his training mm-hmm. over here and then eventually made his way back.
1: One of the cool things, and I think that there's other schools that probably have like the same phenomenon, but um, you know, Hillsborough is such a smorgasbord of people from all over the world. Uh, and when I was there, it always kind of fluctuated. When I was a student there, and a CFI, but not as much. It was like it was like little Europe over there, right? It was like yeah, me being from there and and being from the U.S. was like the minority. And uh, ironically enough, I haven't really thought about it so much. And then I was at European Rotors a few months back in Spain, the trade show, kind of the HAI equivalent in Spain. And I ran into so many people from Hillsborough uh, that were, you know, trained in, trained in Hillsborough and European and went back to their conversions. And, you know, they're flying all over Europe and doing cool things. And I thought to myself, like, man, that's awesome. Like, I don't know if there's so many college-like experiences where you get to interact with people from all over the world. Uh, but I think that was one of the cool takeaways. Uh, and I feel like I probably have a couch or at least a nice guest room to sleep on, uh, sleep in. Just about anywhere, you know, yeah. Anywhere in Europe at this point, so I need to like start taking advantage of that. And then the GI program came in, more Americans, obviously. But uh, I think I think Hillsboro has a, a YASA program now. So anyway, Hillsboro is doing cool things. Uh, glad to have him be part of the the podcast, and it's always great to connect with former alumni. How did you? Uh, how did you? I mean, was it just like, hey, I'm from McMinnville and there's Hillsboro, and that makes sense, or was there more thought into it?
0: So there, there was, let's say, a little bit more thought, but uh, you know, my, my sister works for the government now and deals with uh, a bunch of military pilots overseas. And I was asking her once. I used to live in Las Vegas before I was a pilot. And I was like, okay, I think I kind of want to do this pilot thing. But, you know, you you deal with all these pilots. Do you have any, like, good ideas on, like, where to go? Can you of them give me any recommendations? And then apparently some old military pilot buddies of hers suggested Hillsboro. And when I was talking to her, I'm like, come on, you can't be serious. Like, the place I should be going is a place next to where I grew up. Like, this is, like, the silliest thing ever. But, you know, it worked out. I ended up moving back to Oregon and then went to Hillsboro and, you know, just gone on from there. And, then you know, it's been funny since being an actual working, you know, professional pilot, how many people I run into who either have been from Hillsboro themselves or at least everybody knows Hillsboro or uh, Evergreen. Like I almost, I almost never bump into somebody who doesn't know Hillsborough or Evergreen in McMinnville.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're kind of staples, right? I mean, they've been around for so long um, and it's, you know, they it takes up a lot of big space, you know, um, and there's other flight schools out there. I mean, precision's doing pretty cool things now, m- mainly in the cabaret. And that's, could be a bit of a drawback for some folks because it, unless you get hired there, you know, then you have to go and get twenty-two time because of S far. You are not so competitive, so I think schools like that may struggle a little bit. Uh, and then, of course, you got Jerry Trimble. I mean, Jerry's Jerry does a lot of cool things, a lot of ATP stuff. I think now and mm-hmm. a lot of people come to build time and and do fun stuff. So it's kind of neat. It's like a little triangle, that little valley right there. The little it's like a wine country, but also happens to be like a little helicopter country.
0: Um, oh, it's it, it's an amazing place, and you know. Not only do you have the good schools, but I mean, as you were talking about the West practice area, but you've got the mountains, uh, you've got valleys, you've got all the weather you have to deal with while you're learning. Like I, I really, I genuinely feel like I got the best training I could possibly get while I was learning to fly out there.
1: Yeah, no, I, um, I feel very lucky and it was home to me, right? I mean, I grew up in Lake Oswego, so not too far. I think McMinnville is yep. probably a little closer, but you know, same, same difference. Yeah. You know, so it just kind of made sense, and and I enjoyed being there. And I was at Hillsborough far longer than most, right? I, I taught there. I then worked in kind of the management positions, and you know, I think it was good. A lot of good takeaways from from my experience, and I'm glad to hear that you
0: had the same. When did you finish at Hillsborough? I finished in, I guess you'd say, like December of 2019. So it hasn't even been okay. a super long time.
1: So I had been gone for like five. Five years at that point already, because uh, I think I left around 2014. Uh, so helicopters seems like it's about a like a second career for you, and it seems to be a theme lately with my guests. Kind of this second career. So what were you doing before helicopters, and what drew you? Uh, what what kind of mat are you? Are you mentally okay? What what drew you to making <laughs> this decision of uh, flying Where's- helicopters?
0: Well, you know, it's kind of funny because my my old boss, when I was a flight instructor out here in New York, is also like the DPE for the region. And I told her once. Her name's Heather Howley. She's amazing. She pops up on social media all the time as well. But uh, I told her once that I figured that everybody who flew helicopters had to have at least a screw a little bit loose because, like, who goes and does this sort of thing? But, uh, yeah, so I went to college for science. I had, like, a physics background. And uh, I ended up stumbling into and running a company in Las Vegas back in the day. So like a corporate-y type job. And uh, it didn't really work for me. Like when all of a sudden down, it was a fun job. I met a lot of interesting people. But being behind a desk all day just wasn't, wasn't I guess really what I'd pictured for myself in my life. I ended up leaving that and uh, got into um, uh, paramedic school to do something a little bit, let's say, more exciting. Started down that route and uh, then I'd had this idea. I wanted to be a pilot pretty much since I was a kid. So as I started working on an ambulance, you start running into helicopters doing EMS. And like, you know, those pilots looked like they were having a lot more fun than I was on the ambulance. So I, I ended up calling up Hillsborough and like, it just took off from there. Like I called them up and I remember calling them up. Like, what would it take for me to start? Like, if I was curious, you know, I went in and did like an intro flight. They're like, You can start in a couple of weeks if you want to like, well, that's <laughs> send a check. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Let's go do this. (laughs) And uh, from the time I did my first intro flight, I just remember getting off the helicopter and having like the biggest grin I've ever had in my life. And I was like, yep, this is it. This is what I should be doing. And, you know, then I just did that. When I went to flight school, I used to work for Metro West Ambulance, um, you know, which is the ambulance service that does Washington County area. And uh, so I would do overnight ambulance shifts, like answering 911 calls go home sleep for a few hours and then go to flight school usually in the afternoon and then roll back into my next ambulance shift. It was pretty much my schedule for a couple of years.
1: It's like and, uh, uh, it's like no different than flying helicopter air medical, right? I mean, it's like you were practicing. I want to talk all about it, but real fast, we're going to hear from our sponsors. Thank you to our sponsor Hillsborough Heli Academy. Embark on your helicopter pilot journey with Hillsborough Heli Academy. Known worldwide,
0: they make it easy to achieve both U.S. and European helicopter licenses. Visit flyhaa.com to schedule your introductory flight and turn your dream into a
1: career. All right. Thank you to our sponsors for making the Helicopter Podcast possible. And, yeah, Nick, it's like you were – as you were training, you're working this, uh, I was about to say air medical, uh, ground medical stuff, and it's like practicing for the air medical life, you know, staying up all night, getting a few hours of sleep during the day, and then kind of doing it all over again. Uh, oh, yeah. Were I mean, you – go ahead.
0: I was like, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much what I was doing. That's what I do now. In fact, after this, I'm going in and doing an overnight shift for, you know, my company up here in New York.
1: That's rough, man. I – Is it something that you're okay with? Like you're okay with the nights?
0: You know, it's taken a little bit to get used to. I've been doing it for about a year now. Uh, It was a little bit rougher at first, right? Because in most helicopter flying, you're not really flying around at night, let alone like 2 or 3 a.m. with like night vision goggles on and all that stuff. Uh, So it was a little bit rough at first. You know, you you get used to it. Where we are up here in New York, uh, we are super busy. Uh, I usually fly about twice as much at night as I do during the day. So Mm. over this last year, I've, uh, I've started, let's say I've taken my nighttime shifts very seriously. I make sure I show up well, as well refreshed as humanly possible because I'm probably going to be flying all night.
1: Yeah. It's really hard. I would say like, um, for me, I think the biggest struggle, excuse me, as I adjust here, I, I, I looked at air medical as a great schedule so I could do other stuff. Uh, other kind of side hustles. There's always a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, now of course have my own, you know, helicopter sales business. And I was actually starting that while flying air medical. And so for me, I would work a night shift and then I would get home during the day. It felt so weird for me to like sleep. I was like, man, if I'm sleeping, I can't be productive. And even though it's a week out of the month, you know, it's like, you know, 25% of your month is like that. So it's not even a thing just totally wrecked me i just hated that um and that was what turned me away you know very fast i mean i lasted a couple of years some people can do it some can't but you really got to be fresh because you can have those those shifts where it's like every night man you're
0: just flying all night long and it just wears you and wears you down hard well and that's how we've been up here i mean we i mean I, i'm in new york right i mean it's winter up here we are the definition of icing weather. So a good chunk of the winter, we just can't fly. And we've had a couple of weeks of not being able to fly. And man, that just took a turn about four nights ago. And I was on night shift and we have been, <laughs> it's been like straight flying night after night after night. I think these hospitals are trying to get us caught up with everything we didn't do for two weeks. At, at the base that
1: I was at, it wasn't like super heavy night. I would probably argue that 70% of my night shifts, I was able to sleep. Uh, but the man, those thirty percent hated every second of it. And for me, I would anticipate that damn radio going off, and <laughs> it just made it so hard for me to sleep. So it could be a night where we don't get called at all. But if it was flyable, I would just lay there like just wait for this standby for tones. Boo! Like I just, I just had the hardest time. So <laughs> I'm not. I wasn't cut out for air medical. I'm fascinated by the medical side of stuff. I'm. I was actually thinking of maybe doing like an emt so i I have a outdoor emergency care certification because i do a ski Mm -hmm. patrol program yeah up here in the pacific northwest at mount bachelor and you know we have like you know we can't even do anything except you know provide a splint or a sling and a swath and put you in a sled and get you down to the hill but the whole training for it was pretty fascinating and so i kind of feel like i might want to enhance or further my training, you know, maybe to an EMT level or, or something like that. But yeah, yeah. I don't when know. I
0: started in like the paramedic, the, the paramedic route. I I mean, I had never done anything medical in my life and I had no idea if I was going to enjoy it. I just took an EMT class for fun. And I was like, well, let's see if I like this. And then I just thoroughly loved it. And I will tell you that my absolute second favorite job I've ever had was working on that ambulance. I prefer flying, you know, p- helicopter flying is a lot more fun than working on the ambulance. But If I had to go back and do anything else, it'd be right back there.
1: That's cool. I think my retirement will be like, um, hopefully my business is still going, but someone else is running it for me. And I'm an older guy, but still in good shape. And I just work as a paid ski patroller. I don't know, like three days a week. Uh, It's a good way to do it. I, you know, they're, they're not breaking the bank. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And the program that I'm part of, I'm a volunteer. Uh, so we help subsidize the paid staff on the busy weekends. Um, in fact, I have to pay for most of the stuff. I got to pay for the ski patrol jacket and this and that. I get a free pass and that's about it. But it's a, it's a cool thing. And I think that would be kind of a fun retirement. So reading through your bio that you sent me, thanks for that. I know that you taught up in New York. Did you Were you a CFI at Hillsborough? Did I not read that, or did I read that?
0: So I was not a CFI at Hillsboro. Back when I finished all of my training, I had thought about staying at Hillsboro and talked to them about it. But um, my uh, fiance at the time did not really like the Pacific Northwest. She was from down further south where it was sunny. You know, it's not always sunny in in Portland. So we decided to head off and try somewhere else. And that was how I ended up it, in New York. They were just hiring so out here.
1: And you, Upstate, I mean, isn't it just as rainy?
0: So, you know, it's, it's funny because it is rainy, but not overcast. So we'll get like those storms that come through and just dump a bunch <sighs> of rain and then it'll be blue sky after that. Makes sense. So There's actually a lot more yeah. sun out here, but yeah, it's definitely colder.
1: I, um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I get it. The Pacific Northwest is like, it's look, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's where I live. It's where I'm from. A lot of crazy people. And it's very wet and gloomy in the valley that's why we chose central oregon because central oregon is kind of similar like we we don't really get too many overcast days right Um uh, yeah usually just sunny in like 30 minutes from away from here it's like dumping snow which is pretty cool so what it's interesting to me because when i was going through training i probably started having anxiety about not getting a job there like <laughs> halfway through my commercial like to me it was like if I don't get a job here, I'm screwed. You know? And I think that's how a lot of people feel.
0: That was how I felt for most of my training.
1: Did you not have like, you were just totally fine with like, Hey, I'm just going to go and roll the dice and and try somewhere else.
0: So let's say it was kind of the other way. So for most, for 90% of my training there, that was really how I felt like I needed to get that job at Hillsborough and I honestly felt like I, I would end up doing the, the Hillsborough thing for a couple of years and doing what a lot of the other people did, which was go down to the Grand Canyon, do tours there for a while and kind of work my up that way up that way. Um, I ran in to a, another old Hillsborough student right when I was like finishing my commercial, starting my CFI, who uh, was a commercial student finishing when I first started. He was awesome. He was really friendly to me. I mean, you were at Hillsborough. Like, it was amazing to me always how how friendly and helpful the further along students were to the uh, newer ones and whatnot. And he was another one of those guys. I ran into him socially in Portland, Oregon, like randomly. We just are at the same place. And this gentleman had run off and become a CFI in Texas at a small school and was telling me how great the experience was going from somewhere like Hillsboro to, some, to like a smaller school, you know, different environment and how much he thought that he actually learned from the in, about the industry, just going off and doing something different. Mm -hmm. And he kind of got my mind thinking. So then when um, we were talking about not staying in Portland, I went and uh, started looking around and I found the school out here in New York. It was kind of like, let's say a similar environment. It's a independent helicopters out here in New York where I taught is a very busy flight school. They don't have a lot of flight instructors. And so I was able to come out here and kind of, I'm not going to say do what I wanted to, but they kind of gave me free reins, and I taught everybody under the sun. And, you know, being a smaller school out here and kind of off by itself, we also would do all sorts of other things, um, photo tours and, you know, I don't know, there's just a lot. And as I was talking to school out here, it just sounded intriguing to me. So I just decided, you know what, why not? I'm going to give it a try.
1: Yeah, I think that's super cool. I mean, um, I was really wanting to get hired at Hillsborough, and I did, and that was my path, and I'm thankful for that path. I've had an opportunity, you know, specifically on the podcast, to discuss this idea of not getting a job there, interviewing, not getting the job, interviewing, not getting the job because they didn't like you or because they just didn't have the openings, the student load, whatever it may be. I've had those conversations with other people. And they all kind of have a similar similar tone of like, man, I thought it was over, you know, I thought it was done, yeah, you know, and then, and then I went to this other school, and, and then it turned out to actually be this amazing experience. And I think there's something to be said for that because as much as I'm grateful for my path and, and kind of how straightforward it was, it's really a good thing early on in your career to go and do something else for a couple of reasons. A you learn a different perspective of flying, right? There's, there's many ways to skin the cat and, and flying is one of them and different operations have different expectations of, of how they want you to fly their helicopters. And so you get to learn yep. that, but, but you also learn this very valuable skill in the industry, which is going to a new place and having an open mind. I know that you've been able to bump from, from CFI to flying, oil and gas, and and then going and now into air medical, you can tell me, you're a commercial guy, you can preach this to our younger, not maybe our younger, but at least our lower time guys and gals out there, that every time you go to a new company, you're going to learn new things. And there may even be things that you don't love about what they're doing. And one sure way to not last long at a company is by showing up and being like, I'm Halsey, and I flew at Hillsboro, and I don't need you we fly approaches this way, you know? And so, you know, I think it's good actually to have that early on experience of like checking your ego at the door and being open to a different perspective. Because I think when I left Hillsboro, I thought there was kind of just one way to fly, right? I've been in this box yep. for a thousand hours, but it's just not the case. So I think that's cool that you did that. And it sounds like it worked out really well for your career.
0: Well, and you're absolutely correct, because even when I went to out here to New York to teach at Independent, uh, I really, it didn't even occur to me that things were going to be done differently when all of a sudden done, right? I just figured I'd been at Hillsborough. I'm like, oh, this is how things are done. And then I came out here and, you know, I mean, let's not say vastly different, right? And R22 is still in R22 and R44 is an R44. Things are done very similarly, but it wasn't exactly the same. And, you know, I learned a lot from that and I've personally always been really open to uh, new experiences and learning new ways. Uh, You know, people do things differently, and I'm, you know, I feel like there's a way, there's a reason for it. I used to tell my students to take everything they learned from everyone and, you know, figure out what works best for them. But, uh, you know, coming out here, I learned a lot about flying the helicopter. Uh, I met some amazing pilots. But uh, just being in the, just some things I didn't even think about at the time, like the different airspace. Like being able to fly down in New York City and go fly around the Statue of Liberty is just like the craziest thing in the world, uh, especially coming from Oregon. Like I love flying in Oregon, but right. But you don't go fly through downtown Manhattan in Oregon and the airspace is crazy. If
1: you are, then you took a wrong turn.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I flew around Mount St. Helens for a uh, cool. commercial cross country because that was my like first a good idea job. <laughs>
1: that was my first oh, turbine awesome course yeah that, dude you know what i gotta be honest flying the the bell 206 jet ranger at mount st helens was like probably some of the coolest times part of it was because that wasn't my full-time thing i was still as the assistant chief and this was like a carrot that they dangled and let halsey go you know fly the jet turbine helicopter for you know once a weekend once a month uh you know and So it was cool because it was always like fresh and new and exciting. But holy crap, Mount St. Helens, that area is – I've flown in the Grand Canyon. I've flown around different mountains. I've flown in some pretty cool spots, southern Utah.
0: Mount St. Helens is hard to beat. Oh, it's still to this day one of my favorite flights I ever did was my – you know, cross country around Mount St. Helens. I guess like, like on the beautiful, I flew around it, like landed in the Dalles or Hood River or somewhere, got fueled and came back, flew the gorge all the way back to Portland. It's like one of the coolest flights that's I've an, ever done in my life.
1: That's an epic day. Yeah. If you're listening and you don't know Mount St. Helens, look it up. May 18th, 1980. Big eruption, biggest landslide in history. One of the biggest, I think, recorded volcano, you know, eruptions in, in human history. And the area was devastated and it's still fairly devastated. There's a 17 mile devastation line, and and people thought, man, nothing's ever going to grow here again. But in its own way, in its own unique beauty, it's, things have been growing, right? There's and there's large these giant elk herds that love that area. I don't know why. On the Tootle in the toodle valley, uh, just absolutely incredible. And to see like um, in Spirit Lake, all the uh, all the trees it's just still floating there because they were just flattened into the water i mean it's just like you're you're peering back into history and i think that's really cool and it's, yeah and i can know. already
0: tell you, you're a better tour pilot than i was for back there because i couldn't have oh. made everything yeah
1: of course i'm i'm an expert please okay uh no in fact i was not even born when Mount St helens blew up but my parents told me uh because they were moved they just moved to portland so they actually watched the the mountain erupt from council crest which is in like the west hills and uh, just a cool, I don't know, I think the i think the Northwest is neat with all the volcanoes, and I think that that's a, a, a very cool example. And I think it's a cool example of helicopters uh, and the vantage point that you get from a helicopter. Uh, you can go and hike Mount St. Helens, and, you, and you, I'm sure it's an amazing view. I could fly from 12 miles from the crater to the top in about 14 minutes in a jet box, and it was just this incredible experience. And I think that's cool. Because even non-helicopter people dig that, right? I mean, people literally pay. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what the tourism industry is, but probably close to a billion dollars a year of helicopter tourism worldwide. Uh Because it, it gives you such a cool vantage. And so I felt really lucky to be flying a helicopter in that area. It's intimidating, though. I don't know. When you fly a little helicopter next to a giant mountain that exploded, there's something cerebral about that. I don't even know if that's the right word, but something... That I could palpably feel.
0: Yeah, I feel very similarly. Like even where I am now, up in New York. So I'm in the Adirondacks. Kind of my, my base I'm at is wedged between the Adirondacks and the Catskills, two mountain ranges up here. They're not as tall, right? They're not they're not the you know 10,000 foot peaks of the Cascades. But you know we do have you know a lot of 3,500, 4,000 foot peaks. And it never occurred to me how I guess you'd say empty of civilization it was going to be out here. Like I go and I, I go and fly. Like you know, I tell people I'm in New York, but I'm I'm not in the city. Right? I'm I'm in the mountains. And if I go and fly 10-15 minutes into the mountains, like there's just not people anymore. And I can fly all the way to Canada for like like an hour and a half or so flying. And you just don't see towns. There's no roads. It's just trees. And out here, they have all these old fire towers on top of like the tallest peaks.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: And some of them have helipads on them. So there's like these random helipads at like these 4,000-foot uh, fire towers that uh, – it's just amazing. When I was an instructor, I would totally take students out there once they got good at it and be like, we're going to go land on top of this mountain, take the 44 out and land on the little peak.
1: I was going to say flying air medical, that's just a tease, man, having to fly over the the cool off-airport opportunity and know that you can't do anything about it.
0: Yeah. I keep telling my crew that someday I want to land on one of those just for fun. Like we need a hiker to have something happen right on this mountain. So we land, but you know, I don't think it's ever going to happen.
1: You might be able to call it like training, right? Hey, we're going to train and land mm-hmm. on this for that, for that scenario. You know, I know air medical That's fair. Go. One of
0: them's only like 15 minutes from my base. So I might even be able to I pull mean, it off. I think
1: you should pull it off. Uh, you should ask first though.
0: <laughs> I don't think I mean, it's a good call to,
1: to ask for permission. And, uh, Or Mm -hmm. don't ask and and
0: beg for forgiveness, but uh, I would probably ask. They'd probably get get a little cranky if you go and just do something like that without asking first.
1: Isn't that the cool part about helicopter flight school, though, and instructing? Is that... I tell people this all the time because it's easy to get burnt out. I think we all do. But I try to tell people, man, it's the one job where you get get the keys to a helicopter, literal keys, because you're flying a Robbie, and you get to go do whatever you want. Like... To a degree, right? As long as it's like, say, like working at Hillsborough, I'm like, I'm going to go land on 40 off airports today in 40 different spots and they're going to be confined. Some will be pinnacles and I'm going to go to this creek that I found. Like, it's just, you don't get to do that when you're a commercial pilot anymore.
0: No, you don't. Like, you know, that's what I used to tell my students. Like, enjoy your time as a flight instructor. Like you get to get, you get to get amazing at all these skills, which are going to do you wonders for the rest of your career. But, like, you're never going to have that freedom again. Like, you know, we, we mentioned briefly that I used to fly in the Gulf, and I loved flying in the Gulf. Like, it was, it was an amazing experience. But, you know, you don't get to just go and do all the things you want to do all the time. Like, they're like, here, go fly to this platform.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you definitely it's it's you, – you're just told what to do to a degree. I want to talk about the Gulf because we haven't had too many Gulf uh, conversations on the podcast. So I think that would be cool. But first, let's take our second sponsor call. Thank you to our sponsor, Robinson Helicopter Company, the choice for unrivaled safety and reliability so you can accomplish
0: any mission with confidence. For more than half a century, Robinson has been at the forefront of the helicopter industry. From the R-22 to the R-66 turbine, Robinson makes helicopters accessible so more people can accomplish more missions. Climb higher. For additional information, visit
1: www.robinsonheli.com. All right. Coming back to the helicopter podcast. Thank you to our sponsors for making the show possible. Pretty cool. You know, I just started the podcast. Just, I don't know really why, but I did it and I never thought it would actually kind of be anything cool. So I'm just grateful for our sponsors. I'm grateful for MHM image and publishing and vertical helicast for making it possible. Super cool. And it's very thankful for, to forget to just have helicopter conversations. We were talking about that during the break But the podcast is literally just like, I don't really consider it work of sort because it's just like talking about helicopters. In fact, I usually try to record, you know, midday and it kind of, you know, takes me away from that monotony of of work sometimes and just uh, talking about helicopters. So I think it's cool. And Nick, I'm really enjoying the conversation. You worked in the Gulf, you said something that I've never heard anyone say before we got left for the break about. Um, that you loved flying in the Gulf. Uh, I've had a ton of friends <laughs> fly in the Gulf. And this is the report that I've heard. Tell me if I'm correct. Yeah, we'll see. You get, you get to fly decent aircraft. Most of the time, you'll start off with like a 407, A-star, single engine, something like that. Depending on the company, that aircraft will not have air conditioning. And you will fly all day, every day for two weeks straight. And you'll fly grumpy uh, uh, client uh, of the oil and gas company that you're contracted for to multiple platforms, and you're flying over water, and it's kind of sketchy because you're over water, and the clouds coming quick, and the weather's weird, and visibility can get really crappy. No one's ever sold it to me that they loved it, so I please inspire me.
0: Well, you know, I'm I'm glad to see I got something unique going on. So yeah. I started in the 407, just like a lot of people do in the Gulf. Uh, I flew for PHI, the four, you know, our fleet of 407s were, um, all standardized. They were all about the same and they all had no air conditioning. So that is 100% accurate, but that's why, you know, you go up to 5,000 feet and open a window. Um, so here's the thing for me. I mean, I grew 5, up in Oregon. Feet, like said. I'm
1: afraid. I'm afraid of heights, bro. That's how That's okay. Yeah, well, what do you
0: go to you outer know. space? You know, when you're in Louisiana and it's 99 degrees and 99% humidity, sometimes you just do what you got to do, especially when you're yeah. sitting in a <laughs> helicopter for 12 hours. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. You know, I grew up in Oregon. I grew up fishing on the Pacific. Right? I love the water. So a lot of people that I met that didn't enjoy flying over the water also didn't, have say, have the upbringing that I did. Like I Bowie loved 10? being over the Gulf. Uh, yeah, buoy 10. Salmon fishing at buoy 10. You know, going Sturgeon off fishing out the of... Bay there? Yep, sturgeon fishing, sturgeon fishing up at the base of Bonneville Dam, you know. But like all, all the places, right? Um, drift mm-hmm. boats down the uh, down the Wilson River in the winter for no, salmon and Wilson. steelhead.
1: The Wilson River is beautiful. Uh,
0: yeah, you know, I did all the things, so uh, I enjoyed being over the water. Like it was fun, and you know, you're flying around, you can see amazing things in the Gulf of Mexico if you're looking. I knew a lot of people who told me they never looked at the water like the whole time they were flying down there. And I thought that was the craziest thing. Like, there's, like, these giant pods of dolphin. There's sea turtles, the sides of cars swimming around that you see. Manta rays all over the place. And you see them, like, out, you know, like, you know, flapping their wings or whatever. Uh, You know, I saw killer whales, which is apparently super rare and you almost never see down there. Yeah, and the Gulf, too. It's pretty warm. the Gulf, And then let alone all of the sharks. Like, there's sharks everywhere. I mean, I never would want to actually have to go into that water there but uh you'd be flying around at 2,000 feet and you'd see 16 foot long hammerheads just swimming along the surface and uh no it was crazy like i i loved it the views were amazing the water changes color uh like every couple miles like when you're down near the mississippi you kind of have all that dirt running out so it's a little more brown then you fly a little ways and the water's like bright turquoise or bright blues uh so scenery wise i loved it um I have always been one of those people that kind of goes like kind of takes things as they come, like goes with the flow. And I think that served me well in the 407 because yes, you are flying around these uh, interesting oil rig workers and you're just going from place to place to place, but you don't really have a plan. So a lot of the times you'd be like, I'd drop somebody off somewhere and somebody else would come up to me with a post-it note and be like, I need to go to these three platforms. And so you're doing all this like flight planning on the fly when you don't, you know, there's no landmarks. And, uh, I just enjoyed it. It was fun. It was just, every you day was a little different. have to go to that one platform. It's, it's near the ocean. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> trust me. That's what it would be like sometimes. And, you know, some of these, I don't know how, how deep you want to go down this well, but some of these platforms are unmanned. The platform itself is probably only like, you know, 40 by 40 feet. So you're flying for 30 miles. You're flying for 30 miles over the water to find some little chunk of metal that's barely sticking up out of the water.
1: That's crazy. What about staying? Did you ever stay the night, uh, On the
0: platform? I did. So when I was on the 407, before I started flying a 76, I used to stay offshore about, usually about four nights out of every two weeks down there. And, uh, I had a platform that I generally stayed on. They had quarters for the pilot. So I pretty much had my own apartment, like direct TV. I was off away from the rest of the crew and, uh, they like their food out there. So there's always plenty of food and, you know, you just go shut down for the night and then chill with the, uh, with the workers until you feel like going to bed. I, th- I think it would be fun.
1: You know, you, you, maybe you're turning me a little bit. Maybe, you know what? I'm going to turn in the, my application right now, actually. And...
0: Well, I'm sure they need you. But uh, <laughs> it, I think it's like any other job, right? Like, there's always going to be things about it that aren't the best. But I mean, there's a ton about that job that was a lot of fun. You know, and one of the other things, which I have a feeling I'll never get the same opportunity again. So PHI, right? I mean, they're obviously a huge company. So in the mornings uh, at the base, I flew out of Homa, Louisiana. Uh, we had a pilot briefing room. There'd be 40 pilots in that briefing room in the morning, like going over weather, talking about what they're doing. Uh, the, just the experience of being able to be in that room with 40 other pilots every morning talking about what you're doing. And some of those guys have been down there for 30 years. They'll have like 20,000 hours flying. I can't even tell you how many people I met. They're like, I stopped keeping track of my hours at eighteen thousand. Like, it's crazy the amount of experience. Yeah, the amount of experience and uh, knowledge that you have in those rooms down in the Gulf is just something that I don't think you'll ever get anywhere. I love my job now, but but like I'm the only pilot, right? I don't get to I don't get to bounce ideas off other pilots while I'm at work.
1: Totally, and I think you know I I think my as I've become wiser slightly thicker and more bald i've determined that life is truly about perspective right we actually have the choice to um to choose how we experience something i really believe that maybe some of my listeners out there be like yo you're cuckoo but you know like uh i experience bad news sometimes on a daily basis running a business and and i've decided that i have a choice of how i can receive that news and maybe not make it bad news. And I think it's just kind of a healthier way to live. And I think with helicopter pilots, so much of the beginning career stuff, the entry-level jobs, flying tours in the canyon, working oil and gas, there's a lot of monotony to it. There's a lot of things about it that aren't perfect. But if you can look at the part of the job that you're enjoying, you can usually kind of overcome a lot of the things that you don't like about it. And I think it's very easy for helicopter pilots to... Oh, I hate this and I hate that, and this is stupid, right? We all heard it, you know. Oh, yeah. But at the end of the day, you're flying a helicopter, and you know, I look at it like this. I love that idea of like landing on a pad, getting a sticky note, and figure it out, right? I mean, that's like the ultimate commercial helicopter pilot game. So, to me, I mean, that sounds super fun. I tried going to the Gulf. Um, just there was that. It wasn't like it was now, uh, and I, I guess it sounds like to you that there's a lot of openings. I, I haven't checked, but. When I was when I was trying to get hired there back in the day, there's nothing, you know. It was just almost the golf was nearly impossible to get into uh, if you're kind of a lower time guy. So it's funny how things you know kind of go up and down, and I'm sure it's all based on the up and down of oil and all that jazz. But I think it's cool to hear that you had a positive experience. And again, I think it's kind of our choice, right? You can you can go to air medical and you can be like me and be kind of a negative Nancy about it, and Uh, it's a bad experience, you know, but when I look back at it, truly, it wasn't that bad. I had a great time. I met great crews. I got to fly nice equipment. I was shutting down highways. I was flying with NVGs. I mean, there's so many great and wonderful experiences. So you really got to work on that harping on the little things. And at the end of the day, it beats an office. I mean, I work in an office every day. I'm blessed. I like what I do. But hey, look, helicopters are more fun. There's no doubt about it. You
0: know, I, I look back on it, and you know, as we mentioned, like this isn't my first career. It's probably not even my second career. But uh, you know, I, I fly helicopters for a living. Like, there's so many worse things to do. So, yeah, I mean, even the even the worst day doing what I do, I mean, doesn't even. Yeah, I, it's just yeah, it's this is a great way to spend my days. The worst day is still nights. better
1: than like the best day as like a CPA. Uh, <laughs> you know, the industry is not perfect, right? It's a rough industry in many aspects. Uh, And I think we're moving in a direction where it's hopefully getting better and better uh, with pilot pay, uh, supporting pilots, you know, air medical, as you know. I mean, they've done great. There's been a huge shift. I mean, even just
0: in the time I've been a pilot, I've I've noticed the the huge shift and the difference. I mean, and the shortage of pilots is getting worse and worse, which in a lot of ways is good for us pilots because, you know. Our pay is going up, and there's a lot more openings, and it's easier to get into some of those places, like the Gulf. I think that you couldn't even back when you were doing it. Yeah, uh, I had actually had a, I actually had a really hard time getting into the Gulf. Uh, oh, PHI was the only company that called me back. Everybody else, I uh, never even heard back. I applied to multiple places. They were the only people that that got back to me.
1: And that's—they're you know, uh, kind of a big dog, you know. PHI—that's a good—that's
0: a good callback. It is a good callback. I—you know—I didn't pass it up.
1: No, you get, and that's the other thing. You can't pass up opportunities. In the helicopter industry, I will pass up opportunities if I don't feel safe. You know, I've been presented with, hey, come fly this or do that. And it's like, eh, I don't think so. I mean, that just doesn't seem safe or a good idea. And I'm okay with that. You know, you get to pass on that stuff. But if there's a, a good company that wants to pay you money to fly a helicopter, even if it's not your dream job, it's a great place to start. And you know what? You may find that you love it.
0: That's always the way I've looked at it. Like I'm, I'm willing to do just about anything as long as I feel like the maintenance is decent and uh, you know, it's going to be overall like a safe job. Like I know I fly helicopters and there's risk involved, but uh, you know, I don't feel like I need to have unnecessary risk. Yeah, totally. If you don't mind, how old are you? 45.
1: 45. And you started, so it's been what? Seven years since you finished yep. or what? Five years, I guess it you been say about five years since I finished.
0: finished. Uh, 2017 is when I started. So I and finished 2019. in 2019.
1: So, so you are like 40 when you finished. Yep. So, I mean, I think that's cool. And I think it's funny. I see this a lot doing the podcast is like this idea of second career. It's very different than me, right? I've had one career since I was 12, and it's been somehow entwined with aviation. A couple brief stints in, in high school, working pizza, uh, and I still make great pizza to this day, but, um, you know, I think it's neat. I think it's really cool. And I love hearing that people, cause a lot of my podcast guests, this is a second, third career are taking advantage of a, of, of following your, your dreams, right? I think as, as we become adults, it's easy for just us to get into the monotony, to think that we can't actually do what we want to do, uh, to think things aren't achievable, uh, and I think it's neat when people take a risk because I'm sure by coming at, becoming a helicopter pilot, there was probably some risks that you had to take. Not flying that. I mean, yes, from that yeah. aspect, but just financial family. I mean, that's a big decision.
0: You know, it is. And it was, you know, when I was in flight school, you know, for my like two years or so, uh, you know, the whole time it was always like, I'm spending all this money. Is there even going to be a job when I'm done? Like it was it was two years of being stressed out about that. You know, there were. I remember hearing all these stories about people who went through flight school and ended up becoming truck drivers because they couldn't get jobs. And uh, I'm like, man, is this what's going to happen to me? I mean, this isn't, you know, let's say a cheap endeavor to go become a pilot. And uh, I was very stressed out, and I was really excited when I got that first job. Not that you get paid a lot to be a flight instructor, but just knowing that I had a job was like the nicest feeling in the world. Like, okay, I really am going to be able to do this.
1: It's Um, nice to break that ice, right? And I think a lot of those people that are driving trucks, there's probably a reason for it, right? Uh, And again, nothing against truck drivers. But, you know, if you can't make it in the helicopter industry, it's probably not because you can't fly the helicopter all that well. It's probably because you're not a very friendly person or a person that people like to be around, right? That's the the biggest lesson. We hear about it all the time on the show is like this – this really thought provoking idea that's not all that thought provoking is just treat people nicely and be someone that people want to be around. And you're probably going to have opportunities within this industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, the industry is, I mean, it's super small. It is amazing to me. Uh, I feel like I'm like one degree of separation from virtually every other professional helicopter pilot in the country. Like if I don't know them already, I probably know somebody who does. And uh, you also, you hear about the people that are nice and you hear about the people that are difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. And uh, those people have a harder time getting jobs or they get their one job where they're antisocial and don't seem to ever leave it because nobody else is going to take them.
1: Yeah, man, attitude is everything. Uh, And it's a very small industry. Uh, And everyone knows everyone. It's somewhat incestual in that way. So you really got to mind your P's and Q's and let's be honest, we're humans, right? So we all kind of gossip a little bit. So if you're kind of a someone that people don't like being around, it's a little bit easier to talk about that. But, oh, that Nick guy. Ooh, I don't know. You know. Um so you know, you just gotta be a good person. It seems like you got a good head on your shoulders. I think it's cool that this is your second career. I like hearing your perspective on the golf. And unfortunately, we've come to our point of the show where it doesn't even seem like we've been talking for that long, but it's already been about an hour. Um, so, Nick, I really appreciate you coming on. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to talk about Hillsboro and, and we have that shared experience, Oregonians. I think that's super cool. We fished in the same spots. Uh, so, just thank you for coming on and sharing your story. And uh, you know, I hope to you know continue to stay in touch and connect with you.
0: Uh, yeah, I had a really great time. So, thank you very much for having me. And I can't believe an yeah, hour has gone already.
1: I know. Is that crazy? It's like. Um, I don't drink anymore, uh, but I always wish... It kind of reminds me, like, these conversations are, like, uh, over a beer, you know, two helicopter pilots talking about, you know. So uh, I always thought it'd be kind of fun to, like, drink a beer and do the podcast at the same time, even though it's only... It's not even 1 o'clock here yet. That's disgusting. It's been a long day already. Um, But, unfortunately, no beer drinking. But it's been great having you on. To our listeners, thank you. Uh, This actually... This whole podcast today was uh, because your buddy Eli reached out to me on Instagram, said that you're a cool dude. And then talking to Eli, I'm like, well, you sound like a cool dude too, so we should talk as well. So I did a podcast with Eli. I'm now doing a podcast with you. So if you're listening, i uh, love to hear from you. Reach out on Instagram at the Helicopter Podcast. Uh, this is a great way for me to get guests. Getting guests can be challenging. It's I, I put a show out every single week. I'm no expert, but I think that's like what? Is that 52 weeks in a year, right? 52 shows? Sounds right. right. Give or take? Counting mm-hmm. math? I don't know. It's hard. You're a physics, your physics guy. You should know this stuff. Um, so, yeah, thanks for reaching out, uh, and I'm glad that you that you were willing to come on the show. Vertical Helicast, MHM Publishing, thank you for making the show possible and to our other sponsors and to our listeners. Keep listening. Thanks, guys. See you, Nick. See ya. Hey, podcast listeners. My name is Halsey Schreider, and I'm the principal broker and owner of Celicopter. Helicopter is a new age data driven helicopter specific sales brokerage bringing helicopter listings to new heights. At Helicopter, we utilize digital positioning, paid advertising and our large network of industry professionals to move your helicopter quickly and efficiently. Unsure of the value of your helicopter? Lucky for you, Helicopter offers a complimentary market evaluation. All you have to do is contact the team today. Are you ready to take your helicopter listing from Mayday to Payday? Easy. Fill out the contact information below, and a helicopter pilot agent will reach out shortly. Cellicopter. List it. Sell it.
0: Done.